Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week, my producer Miranda and I explore the top stories making waves in the news, and some that are just plain interesting. We connect you with the journalists and people who know the story, and bring you news without the noise, so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, we will be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The biggest story of the week was that of George Herbert Walker Bush, 41st president of the United States, passing away last Friday. The country was mourning all week long. He died at 94. He lived an extraordinary life. He was an aviator in World War II. He was a member of Congress. He went on to be the United Nations ambassador, director of the CIA, vice president, and president. He was remembered as a great statesman, a man of great decency and kindness. As I was saying, all week long, the country was mourning and following along all the different funeral processions, there was some very, very kind and emotional words given by his son, former President George W. Bush. And all week long, we just heard stories from different family members. Miranda, you were uh, telling me about some of those. Yeah, one of the Bush twins, I believe it was Jenna Hager Bush. She was speaking about how she told her children that their great grandfather had died. And when she explained it, one of her kids said back to her, well, you know, he went to heaven to go decorate the Christmas tree with uh, grandma, great grandma, whatever they called Barbara Bush, because she just passed away a few months ago. Uh, And so, you know, as a nation, we all watched as President Trump had to sit with the Obamas and the Clintons, uh, George W. Bush handed Michelle Obama candy, just right. like they did at John McCain's funeral a couple was, months ago. There was a star made of Sully, uh, the president's oh, uh, yeah. service dog. When there was a, the you know very well known picture, now he was just laying at the foot of the casket. So sweet, uh, yeah. So I mean, there was just a lot of emotional moments over the whole week. We spoke to Ginger Gibson. She's a political reporter for Reuters about his last day speaking to his family uh, and his last words where he did tell his son, former President George W. Bush, I love you. We know he has been sick for some time, wheelchair bound. His wife died earlier this year, and we knew that would probably take a real emotional toll on him. She was his first love, the only woman he ever kissed. And so we know that on his last day, James Baker, his former Secretary of State, his very good friend, visited him in the morning, and he appeared to be doing better. They said he had not eaten for a few days. He was able to eat breakfast. He was able to sit up. But as the day went on and Baker ultimately visited him three times in the day. His condition dwindled. At the end of the day, around dinner time, the staff began arranging for him to make phone calls with all of his adult children, calling each one of them, although one was present there in Houston. And his last words, the last thing he said was to his son, his eldest son, former President George W. Bush, telling him that he loved him. And then less than an hour later, he died. Very sweet retelling of his final day. James Baker, who lived close by, checked in on him throughout the day. And at one point, The former president told him, Bake, where are we going? And he said, Hefe, we're going to heaven. And then he responded, that's where I want to go. I mean, I was reading this and it, it it made me a little sad just for his passing on this. It was it was just a great way to go to be able to talk to loved ones and be there with friends and family. And, and it was just I'm happy for them that he was able to go that way. You know, he had remarked in an interview recently that he had spent most of his life afraid of dying. If you remember, he was a pilot in World War II. His life was on the line quite a number of times. But recently, especially since the passing of his wife, he'd begun to look forward to death, that he thought that it was something he was prepared for. And at 94 years old,
old. He had lived a long life, so it did seem to be one of the most peaceful passes that has that has happened recently. Let's talk about his presidency and some of the important things that happened during that time. One of the biggest moments was when he organized the international military coalition that liberated Kuwait from Iraq. They were invading and in quick fashion almost, he was able to get that taken care of. So there was that and there was a few other things. Tell us a little bit about his presidency. One of his largest legislative accomplishments was signing the Americans with Disability Act. There might not be another piece of legislation with his name on it that has affected so many people and continues to affect so many people. If you just think about the number of times you've watched someone use a ramp to get into a building. That was thanks to George H.W. Bush signing that piece of legislation. And that's just a small piece of it. You know, we talk about employment, we talk about other basic access to services that that law provided. You mentioned what is often known as Desert Storm, which was the brief conflict that he oversaw and that he later credited with helping mend some of the wounds the nation had after Vietnam, some of the hostility towards America's service members, that this was an effective and successful mission, that it was over quickly, and that the American people were able to see something resolved uh, with speed that that really sort of calmed the nation. By all accounts, President Bush was very good at the foreign policy, organizing with other countries, but domestically, he didn't fare so well. Uh, He signed in some new spending cuts and tax revenue increases, which helped set up the 90s for a big boom. But at the time, the the party, the the Republican Party, did not like that at all. And a lot of people say that's what contributed to him being a one-term president. That's right. He very famously said when he was running for president, no new taxes, read my lips. And that is a line that has held a place in our culture because he ultimately did raise taxes a few years later. And it was that decision that many say cost him re-election. He had a, a strong primary challenge from uh, Pat Buchanan, who was highly critical of his decision to raise taxes, whittled away and depressed some of his support, and ultimately lost to a young and energetic governor from Arkansas, Bill Clinton. But that was what the domestic problems were largely what kept him from getting another term. So we spoke a little bit about the life and the presidency of George H.W. Bush. To end this segment, I really wanted to replay what our other former president, George W. Bush, his son, had to say about his father. He spoke about his deep capacity for kindness, how he became a father figure to other leaders in the country. He was sharing a lot of jokes. It was, there were some laughs and then deep emotion at the end. Uh, you can hear George Bush breaking up, talking about his father at the end. So we'll end with part of the eulogy that George W. Bush gave for his father. He had an enormous capacity to give of himself. Many a person would tell you that dad became a mentor and a father figure in their life. He listened and he consoled. He was their friend. I think of Don Rhodes, Taylor Blanton, Jim Nance, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and perhaps the unlikeliest of all, the man who defeated him, Bill Clinton. My siblings and I refer to the guys in this group as brothers from other mothers. (laughs) He taught us that a day was not meant to be wasted. He played golf at a legendary pace. I always wonder why he insisted on speed golf. He was a good golfer. Well, here's my conclusion. He played fast so that he could move on to the next event. 
to enjoy the rest of the day, to expend his enormous energy, to live it all. He was born with just two settings, full throttle, then sleep. <laughs> taught us what it means to be a wonderful father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. He was firm in his principles and supportive as we began to seek our own ways. He encouraged and comforted, but never steered. We tested his patience. I know I did. <laughs> but he always responded with the great gift of unconditional love. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. I said, Dad, I love you and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. His short game was lousy. <laughs> he wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. The man couldn't stomach vegetables especially broccoli. <laughs> and by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us. <laughs> Finally, every day of his 73 years of marriage, Dad taught us all what it means to be a great husband. He married his sweetheart. He adored her. He laughed and cried with her. He was dedicated to her totally. In his old age, Dad enjoyed watching police show reruns volume on high, <laughs> all the while holding mom's hand. After mom died, dad was strong, but all he really wanted to do was hold mom's hand again. Of course, dad taught me another special lesson. He showed me what it means to be a president who serves with integrity, leads with courage, and acts with love in his heart for the citizens of our country. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmatched skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st president of the United States said this, we cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship. Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin 
and holding mom's hand again. Another story that hit big at the beginning of the week and over the weekend prior was that of Kareem Hunt, star running back for the Kansas City Chiefs. It seemed that it happened again to the NFL where a player was caught abusing a woman. In this case, Kareem Hunt kicked a woman while after pushing her down to the floor. Nothing happened at first until a video surfaced of it showing the altercation. TMZ released that video and it reignited that whole controversy. The NFL had said they were investigating, but could never obtain the video. They were investigating, but they were never able to talk to the woman. So they never spoke to Kareem Hunt as well. So all of this threw them for a loop. The Kansas City Chiefs ended up cutting Kareem Hunt, dropping him for the team because they lied to him about the whole thing. For more on this, we spoke to Dan Beyer. He's the managing editor for Fox Sports Radio, co-host of Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Football Fantasy. So he's the guy to go to for all of this. We started off by talking about how the whole situation got started. This all started back in February was when the incident occurred at his residence in Cleveland. There was a known incident because police were called. There were no charges filed against Kareem Hunt. There were no arrests made. But there was a police report. There was body cam footage. So something apparently happened at that time. The chiefs were aware of it. They were also aware of an incident that happened in June involving Hunt an alleged incident where he allegedly punched a man at an amusement park yeah. or a theme park. So these incidents were news in the off season. And so when the Chiefs ended up having training camp in late July and early August, they were addressed at that time. And there was no penalty by the National Football League or by the Chiefs for Hunt for these two incidents. But the NFL did look into the matter and the Chiefs were reportedly told by the NFL that they were going to be the ones to handle it so the Chiefs wouldn't have to do any investigating on their part. That's where things stood pretty much for the last three or four months because there was no penalty handed out. The Chiefs made statements at the time, as did Hunt. And now when this video came out last Friday was when everything ended up coming out. And it was almost like the scab was pulled back off. And now everything <laughs> right. was, was fair game on what actually happened almost nine, ten months ago. Well, it's hard to sweep things under the rug. It's hard to deny things when video like that surfaces. Obviously, there's callbacks to the whole Ray Rice situation. And same thing, TMZ got their hands on the video where the NFL and their investigators could not get their hands on these videos. What has the NFL said about that specifically? They had said that they could not get the video, and that's kind of been the, this has been the debate in our world of sports talk radio of, well, if TMZ can get it, how can the NFL not get it? And that's a very good question, and I think that the NFL is wondering as well. The NFL has come under some heat as well because Kareem Hunt was not interviewed, the alleged victim was not interviewed. From my understanding, the alleged victim has been difficult to get a hold of or hasn't been willing to go ahead or be forthcoming with what happened. So whether that's true or not, that's the reports that that we're getting. And and that's tough right there because part of their protocol is to interview the victim, then interview the player. And, And that's fine. And I get that. But if it's difficult to get in touch with the victim, I mean, you still have to do your due diligence and see what else you can figure out and then include speaking to the player. 
this is where maybe some of it came through was the Kansas City Chiefs did speak with their player. And maybe the NFL took that information as them speaking with it. And maybe investigators didn't follow up. But when the Chiefs ended up releasing Kareem Hunt on Friday in the statement, it wasn't that we now understand that Kareem was physical with another woman during that incident. It was that Kareem Hunt lied. Right. And I'm not saying that the, that the Chiefs are pushing that part under the rug. I think is interesting, though, is that the Chiefs are saying this is what we thought happened. And now this is what we know happened. Fault them or not, that's what they thought happened in the NFL, I guess, just took their word for it and decided to move on and not interview him anymore. So that's where I think maybe a bit of the, I don't know if it's confusion, Oscar, I don't know if that's the right word. It doesn't take any of the fault away from the NFL of maybe not doing more of their due diligence, but that at least gives us a little path of seeing like why certain people weren't spoken to, specifically the former Chiefs running back. Robert Mueller, who is investigating the president for Russian collusion, all that, he actually wrote the report of the NFL's investigation into the Ray Rice assault. And in that, he even said, our investigation identified a number of investigative steps that the league did not take to acquire additional information. And it just seems it's like the same thing here. I mean, they revamped the whole process after that. They uh, made a whole unit dedicated to investigations. And, you know, they work with law enforcement, former law enforcement, investigators, things like that. And as we were talking about, it's just hard to imagine that maybe they couldn't get their hands on the video. But descriptions of the video and know kind of what happened and how it took place. Yeah, some people, I think, feel fooled by the National Football League. And part of the reason is, as well as the NFL came out with a domestic violence policy where a minimum six-game or a six-game suspension would be handed down to anybody who violates this policy. That's what now we saw with you, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah, exactly. He served a six-game suspension following what, what he went through. The thing that I think makes people mad or disappointed is that you trotted out a policy yet you aren't following protocol to enforce your policy. It's almost a smoke and mirrors thing. It's like, look at what we're doing over here. We're just not going to investigate right. to our fullest capabilities. Now, I will say this, and, and, and not to sit on the fence and be one side or the other, does the NFL need to be in the full investigation business? And that's another separate question. That We've found out that maybe police reports and video footage that is released maybe isn't enough. Maybe the NFL has to go further with how they end up developing and investigate some of these incidents involving their players when they know about those incidents. How did the Chiefs and the NFL play this for the rest of the season? Because the NFL had been rebounding with better ratings this year. The games seemed to have been very exciting this year, and especially that Rams-Chief game where Hunt was a big part of like, the highest scoring Monday night football game ever. Mm -hmm. like, things have been going pretty well for them. So what do they do now? I will say this. I think everything that you said is a reason why Kareem Hunt was let go. It's difficult to let go of a guy who, by the way, is one of the better running backs in the National Football League yeah. and is young in his career and also doesn't make a lot of money. And those were three things that were actually going against Ray Rice, which made it a lot easier for the Baltimore Ravens to end up letting him go three years ago because he was an older back. He would make more money than a rookie would, and maybe his play was declining. His play was declining at that time. Made it a little bit easier to move on from Kareem Hunt. With all of that, everything going on, I think that's what the, the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL said, like, all right, maybe things are going good. You're going to have to take this drastic step. If that wasn't the case, I'm not sure if maybe he left. He could have been on leave from Kansas City and stayed within the organization, but they wanted to send a message, and maybe the NFL did as well, to try to keep this off the radar, to keep this at bay because things are getting better for the National Football League. Dan Beyer, managing editor for Fox Sports Radio. You can catch him as the co-host of Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Football Fantasy. Thanks very much for joining us. Appreciate it, Oscar. Good to talk to you.
Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.